Celtics did enough to get a lot of people talking. That 3-0 thing, 150 teams can't do it. Could Boston actually be one of them? Howard Beck joins the show to give his opinion, and we find the origin of 123 Cancun. Free advertising for Cancun right now on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Be ever ready. Recognize the city of champs. Boston, baby, we do what you can't. Locked on number 18, Tatum and Brown, J team. Step back, we gon' wet that and slay teams. Of course, the Celtics, who else could it be? Screaming like KG with the Larry OB. Corrales above average, assessing the team status. Best daily pod, no cap, salary matching. Clutch like Bird to DJ, keep John on replay. Primetime, dapping up the truth on the sideline. Rainy J's, how it started, raising banners, how we finish. Locked on Celtics pod, home of the winners. B. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network where it's your team every day and I'm here for you every day with a free, fresh podcast dropped directly to the devices of subscribers through your favorite podcasting app. If you're not subscribed, hit subscribe right now. Do it. Get this show dropped directly to your device when it drops. Hop onto the YouTube page, ring the bell, get notified when I drop the video version of the show. You can hop into the comment section let me know what you think about the show, about the team, about where they're headed. Today, I've got Howard Beck, who is uh, with GQ, who is a locked-on NBA network insider now for us, uh, which is great. Love to have Howard Beck on. Talk about a lot of things here. Uh, later on, we get into the Cancun thing, uh, which is just we have a little bit of fun at the end. But I talk about bringing some old Red Sox back and how the Celtics might counter uh, A-Rod and Jeter showing up in Miami. We'll have some fun later on at the end of the show. Uh, we'll spend the first couple of segments here talking about, can the Celtics do it? What have we seen over the first, uh, over, over game four that's sustainable? What can they carry forward? Can the Celtics make this thing happen? So here's my conversation with Howard Beck. All right, Howard Beck, thank you uh, for hopping on. You, you're making the rounds. You're giving, I know you were on Locked On Heat. Uh, now you're on Locked On Celtics. So uh, appreciate you, uh, you know, Talking, talking about both sides of the same coin here. It's, it's. Uh, I, I promise to pander as much to your audience in Boston as I did to the Miami audience. I'm just counting on the idea that neither audience will listen to the other pod and hear me saying the exact opposite. <laughs> it's, it's a dangerous game I'm playing, but I think I can pull this off. I think so. If anybody can do it, you can. Just like if anybody can pull off a 3-0 uh, comeback, <laughs> these Celtics can. Uh, they, they couldn't on the Heat podcast, but they absolutely can on this <laughs> You know, now that I think about it, eh, maybe so. Maybe so. You know, now I've, I gotta, I've, I've had several hours between podcasts to reassess yeah. everything. You chew on it. You really get it. Like, that, that's fine. You know, hey, look, I, I appreciate you just flying cold on the Miami Heat podcast and then taking time to actually think about things yes. and putting a solid effort. For the uh, Lockdown Celtics podcast, that's how that's how I'm going to look at it. Anyway, uh, let's let's just start with that big picture. Did you see anything in Game Four that would make you feel like, hey, you know what? There is a chance. There is a chance that these guys can actually do what 150 other teams couldn't. Um. So th there's a there's the specifics of the game. And then there's just the broader perspective. So the specifics of the game first, which is that 
Um, it looked to me, and you've seen this team for many, many more hours and minutes over the course of the last seven months or so than, than I have, but it certainly looked to me like they were a more disciplined group, a more um, connected group. They were passing more. Um, I, I did finally look this up. It, it appears to me, if I'm reading the tracking stats correctly, 269 passes in game four. They were only averaging 257 in the series. And so, and that 269 probably brought it up. So, like the Celtics certainly uh, were more devoted to trying to, you know, the good to great equation, right? Find yep. the better shot, find the best shot. And it didn't seem to me like, like they really looked stagnant, I thought for much of the series and much of this postseason, when they've been at their worst, um, it seems like they're just kind of resorting to hero ball. And, you know, they're as talented as their, their two best players are as, as the Jays are like, this is a team that like most teams, even when you have Supreme talent is at its best when the ball is moving. And when other guys are able to contribute and stay engaged, when you're not forcing bad shots or, uh, you know, shots that you shouldn't or ordinarily take or not, or not, or just taking desperation shots. And at a certain point, every shot looks like a desperation shot if you're not kind of running an offense and not moving the ball around. Um, so I thought there was that. There's the obvious that they finally shot the three really well. And, yep. and, you know, that, that in any two teams in any game in the NBA these days, that is often um, predictive, right? Um, and so like those, those, that's the, that's the top line to me. And then, you know, like the, there's, there's some of the kind of obvious playoff um, dynamics that you can go to, which is a team that this is this talented usually is not going to let itself go down in, a, in that kind of humiliating fashion if they can avoid it. Um, and I think, so there was some of that, there's the desperation that comes with that and the pride that comes with that. Okay. There's all that. And then there's the, 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 the biggest of the big pictures of the, the, the 30,000 foot view, which is a team, this talented never should have been down three Oh in the first place. Right. And a team that, that went into the postseason as consensus, most talented team in the playoffs, certainly more talent than the heat, which is no disrespect to the heat. It's just the, the bare facts here. Um, and so the, there's a certain aspect of this, like, yeah, okay, about time. Like, I, I, I never thought they were incapable of this. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's that. And which which leads into whether or not they can come back from 3-0, but we'll get into that, obviously. Yeah. I mean, look, it's if it's one thing to say Miami came to Boston. They stole one. They stole home court. Boston goes to Miami. They split. They steal home court back. It's 2-2. You're heading back for game five. Okay. Well, there's an equation in there. How do you lose both games at home, uh, which, which is just the weirdest part about all of this, that Boston continues to lose these games at home. They have a below 500 record over the last two seasons at home in the playoffs. D does not make any sense whatsoever for a team that went to the finals. I, I just have never seen something like that. And so there's all the self-inflicted stuff. The Celtics, like you said, when they're at their best, I, I look at plays, the the Jason Tatum busting the zone with a fadeaway at the free throw line. Simple, easy shot. You don't have to overthink it. You get to that free throw line against the zone. There's a gap there. Jason Tatum just takes a simple step back. Boom. That's a practice shot for him. That, that alone, that shot alone can win them the series because – everything that flows off of that shot that can, that can eliminate the zone entirely. I see 
Jalen Brown, instead of forcing it, passing it out and kicking it out. I see Al Horford hitting three-pointers like he did all season long. When things aren't kind of going right right away, he kept them to within nine. Basically, the three three-pointers, and I, I got to go back and look exactly what the scores were, but felt like every time Miami had a chance to pull away, Horford was there hitting a three-pointer which he had done all season long. The, all those little elements add up to a second half that Boston had. And, and that's kind of been how they've, they've won these games all year long. Feeling it out in the first half, sticking around, figuring something out at halftime, come out, boom, uh, have that big second half. So as long as they can keep doing those little things, like you mentioned, then they'll be great. The mistakes that they make are the same mistakes that cost them last year that cost them in the finals, which is Jalen Brown trying to do too much. Jason Tatum trying to do too much stupid turnovers where you just look like you forget how to dribble. Um, and, and those, those types of plays end up turning into Miami transition points. Miami's a confidence team. Once he, once they build up that confidence, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. So I, I, I like that the Celtics were able to get their heads together make those little plays, stick together as a group, and force that game five in Boston. They said, don't let us win one. If that's real confidence, if that's really like how they feel, then then maybe that's something that can shift. Uh, because if you, win, if you win this one at home and you go back to Miami for a game six, whew, I gotta tell you, man, the pressure, the pressure for Miami to close it out there and not go back to Boston for a game seven is going to be huge. For sure. It's actually been kind of fun slash funny to hear the former players, Charles and, and Reggie among them, and I, or maybe chiefly them, um, talk about, because who the pressure is on feels like such a media talking point. It feels like such a talking head thing that those of us who did not play or coach in the game would try to project onto them. And so I, I pay more attention when it's coming from the players themselves or former players because I tend to think that, okay, it sounds – maybe we're forcing it a little bit. Maybe we're projecting. But when they're saying it, I got to think that's coming from experience. So it seemed ludicrous when Charles said the Heat had the pressure on them for game four while sitting on a 3-0 lead. Like yeah. the pressure's on them to now close it out the sweet uh, – it did feel like a stretch. But I think Reggie said, you know, oh, now all the pressure is, is shifting to the heat after after this one. That makes a little bit more sense, right? Like, it is the case, I think, where if you're up big in a series, like we saw this, you know, look, the, the blown 3-1 to one lead infamously by the Warriors against the Cavs. Um, when you're up 3-1 and you lose and now it's 3-2, okay, the pressure amps up a little bit. Now it's 3-3. Oh, crap, what have we gotten ourselves into? It's a coin flip, but at least we're at home. So the heat are now... It's, that is the, pro, the 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 progression here potentially, right? I would expect, as I'm sure all of your listeners will will expect. <clears throat> here comes the pandering that the Celtics are not going to lose at home. No, and I mean this sincerely too. I think I even said this on the Heat podcast, probably. Um, that I, I I expect the Celtics now that they've kind of like steadied themselves and restored a little bit of their confidence and remembered what actually makes for winning basketball, and with that that crowd behind them. I, it's 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 baffling they don't have more of a home court advantage on paper, right? They do have a home court advantage based on that crowd, but the idea that it hasn't translated um, to wins and losses in the postseason is crazy. But I I do think they have 
you know, like if I had to, to bet, and I don't, I would say they win game five. So the, the real question then becomes about game six, right? And how much pressure is on the Heat to close out then? I think it's considerable. You don't want to have to to play a game seven back in Boston, having just lost our now theoretical game five. Um, so I, I do think like that can work in their favor. That can be in the back of the Heat's mind. And nevertheless, all of that said, you still it still comes down to whether the Celtics are doing the right things fundamentally, right? Back with more from uh, Howard in just a second here. First, today's show is brought to you by eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same way when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with eBay Guaranteed Fit. You can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check so you know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. When you shop on eBay Motors and with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride! eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Thanks for making Locked On Celtics your first listen every day. Game five, Celtics and Heat is tonight, Thursday night at the Garden. You can listen to the home broadcast, Grandy and Max, on the SiriusXM app. So check it out on SiriusXM, the SXM app. Search Celtics and you'll find it. Listen to the broadcast. If you're not around Boston, can't turn on the radio, download that SiriusXM app. And listen to Grandy and Max. It might be better than whatever you're listening to on TV. Now, more of my conversation here with Howard Beck. I, I, I think the if they win game five, which, by the way, not a given. All right, I mean, put it that out there. Not a given. I Certainly expect not. them to win game five, but not a given. Because I think somebody like Jimmy Butler and, and maybe Spolstra, they understand no, no, no. We're not doing this. We're not going through this whole thing because the noise, the pressure to me comes from the noise. It comes from the people who text you and be like, really, dude? You know, it's the, it's, you know, you're, you're doing whatever you're grabbing a cup of coffee and somebody, somebody's like, oh, Hey, you're Caleb Martin. What the hell's going on, man? Why can't you guys close this out? You know, and you start hearing those little bits and pieces. It starts getting to you. And you know, if somebody in that locker room gives you that, that, that speech, if you get to a game six, they're like, we're not going back to Boston. And it's like uplifting. But also if in, if the game's not going well, you tighten up. And if you tighten up, those shots start, start to miss man. And that that's where pressure comes from. So, but to get to that, to get to that Boston has to win game five. Howard Al Horford is weirdly unbothered by this situation. I've, I've seen him in the, in the back. I saw him in the back after game three, kind of like loose, you know, talking to his family. He's like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah this is tough, but uh, we're, we're okay. We're okay. Um, he would talk to us and say, you know, it's, you know, or, or, uh, he walked by Robert Williams doing a media session and he's like, yeah, Rob, yeah, Rob, we got this tonight, Rob. Like, he's just like amped up. Like he, I'd expect 
Al to be serious. And then after the game, uh, Jay King was asking, he was like, hey, so you're in a tough spot. And he goes, I, I don't think we're in a tough spot. It is what it is, but we're not in a tough spot. And you're like, damn, Al. Like, I, the, the confidence factor in Boston at this point is weirdly like we're okay, um, which is, I guess, a good thing. Their, their ability to put stuff behind them has been infuriating, but also like necessary. It's the type of thing that you're like, all right, I guess you guys aren't aren't worried too much about being down 3-0. So that, that brings you to a game five where it, it feels like coming out strong and sending setting the tone, setting that message of, okay, we're at home, we, we feel good, we're playing with a little extra oomph, we're playing with, with that crowd. I, I feel like if the Celtics come out and do that and, and take a big lead, that's going to take a big chunk out of Miami's kind of like the, 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 that pace that they play with, that, that thing that they play with. If Miami feels any sort of like, wow, this is just too much here, there may be some sort of like, you know what? I'm not, we're not, we're not, I'm not going to expend my energy. Jimmy Butler, I'm not going to go too crazy here. This is, we're just going to go home. We'll just do this in six. You know, like if they can force that, then it just changes the mentality. And I, because Miami is such a vibes team, a confidence team, if the Celtics can do anything to kind of shift that into a more passive type of mindset, I think that more than any basketball can be what flips the series. There's an absolutely a psychology to this stuff. And when we talk about, you know, all these buzzwords in a playoff series, momentum adjustments, um, who the pressure is on, all these things really go back to a certain amount of psychology too. Even the tactical adjustments are like, you're not, no one's stopping anybody with some tactical adjustment. You're just forcing them to change strategy or positioning or the way they're going to attack. But like the really talented players always find a way to get to get a good shot to beat you. They have to be more disciplined and you've put something else in their in their head. So there's the psychology part of it, right? You're forcing them to think. You're forcing them out of a comfort zone. Well, what's a comfort zone? That's that's a that's a psychological thing as much as it is a physical thing. And so I, I think all that's all that's true. And I do think that if if the heat are down 10 or 12 in the first half of game five. Does their mind already start drifting to shit, man? It's not, this isn't our night either, but we'll get this back to Miami and we'll be fine. Like, yeah, possibly. Um, also, you know, the the home court advantage thing is is you know 99% psychological. And you know, you can get into a, a, a frenzied state, right? To your detriment. And now you're forcing a shot or you're rushing a pass and it's getting picked off and now it's going the other way. And the crowd is is going crazy for the breakaway dunk. And suddenly you're like, oh, crap. And it feels <laughs> like an uphill battle. And that noise, it's funny. You think about home court advantage, right? It's just noise. It's a bunch of people cheering, screaming, yelling things. In a vacuum, it doesn't matter who they're cheering for. The only, the only thing that changes is that you know, if it were the exact same noise in Boston or Miami and you didn't know which arena you were in, it's just noise. Yeah. It's only because you know that that noise is for the other team. Like it's the craziest, weirdest yeah. psychological thing that has this incredible impact on NBA games and it's real. But so anyway, 
if if game five starts going a certain way, does that all creep in? Does that have an impact? Yes, I I I think it does. Um, I also think that like I know that talent has actually been to Boston's detriment in some le- on some level in this series because I think they always feel like they can bail themselves out, and that's part of where their confidence comes at, comes into play. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know what? We have Jason Tatum, and you don't. We have Jalen Brown. We can just manufacture. You guys don't have a lot of guys who can just manufacture. You got to rely on discipline and precision and whatever else. And yeah, Jimmy can manufacture some, but you know that can work to your detriment if you if you get over reliant on it. That's that's what hero ball is. The Heat don't actually have a lot of that to go around, and so for them, if the frenzy means guys who aren't used to to taking big shots or not i shouldn't say big shots guys who aren't used to trying to manufacture the shot that like oh you know what we need to stop this run we, we're they've just scored eight in, eight in a row we got to get our and now it's a guy who's not comfortable being that guy going and forcing a shot because he's like uh it, it, it's it, uh, what, what someone somebody has to do something um and so the, the the frenzy can then work to your detriment in that regard if you don't have the guys who can practice hero ball at a high level yeah and it's kind of wild. Potentially losing Gabe Vincent can can hurt them in that regard. You yeah. know, like it's it's kind of wild. Like he's he's just been a guy that's been able to hit shots that other when when somebody's manufacturing, he's been there to kind of hit a shot when when it kicks out. He's been able to create a little bit for himself. And if he's out and you're getting more Kyle Lowry, then there's always the possibility that you get the, you know, Lowry throwback game, but it's he's had, more, some. he's had some, but more likely he's been struggling, and that that's something that that can play to your advantage. So, I, I think the key here for Boston is to actually almost ignore the noise in a in a way. Let let's see if that can impact Miami more than anything. Like you said, rush something, somebody do something to try to shut the crowd up. Some, you know, when, when a team gets out of running their offense and gets into trying to answer the other team, that's when they start making mistakes. Yeah. So if you can draw Miami into that, if you can draw Miami into like, okay, eight Oh run crowds going nuts. Okay. Here comes, here comes a quick three, uh, or forced shot that's a miss. Now you go out and get up 10, 10, nothing, 11, nothing. That that's where the crowd, the Celtics need to play not to the crowd. They need to play within themselves. And like you said earlier, Boston's absolute strength is not that they have Tatum who can create and Jalen who can create. That's actually not what they do best. When the ball is moving when quick decisions are being made, when those guys are using their gravity to draw and then you kick and then those guys keep moving, they're kicking it to guys who know what to do with the ball. Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Grant Williams, Al Horford, all those guys know what to do with the ball. Tatum and Brown can get the ball back after the initial thing, whatever action they, 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 they're in. That's when they're hitting the, the killer shots. That's when Tatum and Brown's talent really shows up. So if they can do that and force Miami to guard and make the occasional mistake, then that that's what's going to win them game, game five. Not playing up to the crowd, you know, whatever. 
I think I think the discipline is how they won game four. Discipline is how they're going to win this series if they get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, agree with all of that. Um, and I think, look, the, you alluded to Al Horford and kind of this, this calm confidence. Uh, you know, part of it is Al Horford has been around for a while and has seen everything, done everything. Like, there's nothing that's going to phase a guy like that at this stage. Um, and it's good to have some guys who are just kind of rock solid like that because I think that that sets the tone for everybody else. Um, and this is a team that look like they have, they have shown that they do not handle, um, uh, prosperity well, right? Like they, 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 they're messing around in the first round against the Hawks that, 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 that series should have been four or five games at the most. Um, they, they really should have probably lost the Philly series, frankly, like I, you know, Tatum has the late explosion, but he was, he had had a pretty, you know, uh, lackluster game up until that point. Um, you know, they weren't far off from just losing in six to Philly. And so, you know, like it, it's, it's been a weird postseason. I don't know how to, to I don't know what to make of them anymore, frankly. <laughs> Nobody does. But look, they've been to all these conference finals. They've had all these different iterations, you know, the Isaiah Thomas, you know, run, and then the, 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 the Kyrie run, and then the other Kyrie non-run, and the, what, like all these different iterations, like their core has seen quite a bit already and and lived through quite a bit and including the finals last June where they really had a chance to to win that thing saw it slip away and you think that that's the lessons learned there are what's going to carry you through the following postseason and it seems like some of those lessons perhaps weren't learned as well as as needed or weren't internalized to the extent needed um but having been through all that maybe it's not as as big of a psychological blow to be down 3-0 and be facing that O oh, and 100 billion, uh, you know, <laughs> odds. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for making Locked On Celtics your first listen every day. Game five Celtics and Heat is tonight, Thursday night at the Garden. You can listen to the home broadcast, Grandy and Max, on the SiriusXM app. So check it out on SiriusXM, the SXM app. Search Celtics and you'll find it. Listen to the broadcast. If you're not around Boston, can't turn on the radio, download that SiriusXM app and listen to Grandy and Max. It might be better than whatever you're listening to on TV. Now, more of my conversation here with Howard Beck. Well, I will say this, though. I mean, I was listening to, to Zach Lowe and, and he, you know the, the power of the ESPN stats and info team that pulled up the of all of these 150-30 leads that were never uh, conquered, none of none of them were by an eight seed over a two seed. And I think one of the key elements here is the fact that the Celtics are coming home for a five, game five and a potential game seven if it goes that far. That's that is still you know, despite everything I might have said here and in, in, in the past. There, that's a that's a valuable thing, you know, to have those games at home. Uh, it means something, and Miami Miami knows that they they've they've played their two games at home. They got one more. They got one more chance to do this at home, and so that that does change the calculus a little bit. Um, and that's why a lot of people have been saying that if it's ever going to happen, this is the this is the scenario where. It can happen. Now, is it this team that can do it? I don't know, because I don't know what to make of these guys either. 
They they play some games where they're like the softest team you've ever seen. And then they come out and they show a little bit of grit and a little bit of tenacity and a little bit of whatever other cliche you want to use. They do show it. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't characterize these guys as a particularly tough team just in general. They're a finesse team. They rely on shooting. They're not going to get in there and bang. They're not going to be, you know, the the Grant Williams, Jimmy Butler thing, notwithstanding. They're generally not getting into people's faces. This isn't Kevin Garnett. Uh, so so they're going to have to do it based on shooting. And it might just, it might just come down to that. It might just come yeah. down to, can they generate enough good looks to hit 40% of their three-pointers? It's very simple. Can they... Are, what kind of three-pointers are they taking? Can they generate the good ones? Can they pass up the bad ones or the less good ones? Like you said before, in search of the great ones. If they can do that, then they can hit their shots. There are fewer long rebounds for Miami to go run. They can set their defense. They can force some turnovers. And they can win these games. It, it's For all the analysis that's out there, Yeah, that might just be it with this team. Can they do that? If they can, great. History. If not, then disappointment. So if they had lost game four, I would have said, you know what? Not surprising after you lose the first three, a lot of teams that go down three. Oh, you're so dispirited. You're so broken that you're just ready to, to, to chant one, two, three Cancun. Right. And you know, it, it often indicates a team that is broken in some other way anyway. Right. There's some kind of issue coach to players, players to players, whatever. And of course all that speculation was bubbling up about everybody in the last couple of days, or at least going into game four, once they win game four, I do take a step back and think, okay, of all the three O's, and I don't have ESPN stats and info uh, available to me, nor nor do you, And uh, but I'm going to guess not only is it the first time eight versus two, but there's a 13-win gap between these teams in the regular season. And so this is unusual in so many ways. The Celtics were, by consensus, the most talented team top to bottom in this postseason, even before the Bucs had gotten eliminated. And the Bucs and Celtics were the two co-favorites on some level to win it all. The bigger shock was that they went down 3-0 to the Heat in the first place. So if we're going to say, is a team ever going to end this, this long streak of no one ever coming back from 3-0, then you have to examine what all those other 3-0s were. I'm going to guess that the vast majority of those, if not all of those, the team that was down 3-0 didn't not only didn't have home court, but was de demonstrably the, the, the lesser team, right? Uh, yeah, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions. So because that's like, there's a reason 3-0 goes to 4-0 or 3-0 goes to losing the series. It's not just that it's really hard to win four in a row. It's that it's really hard to win four in a row if you weren't a very good team to begin with, which is why you got down 3-0. Except yeah. in the Celtics case, we already know they're a really good team a championship level team, a team that was in the finals last June and has all the same, you know, uh, you know, most important players back and then some and are playing a team that they're demonstrably more talented than. So like if ever the setting was there for a team to be the first ever to come back from 3-0, this would be it. I'm not betting on it. I still think the odds are stacked against them in, in a lot of other ways, but they're a team that, sh because they never should have been down 3-0 in the first place, based on all the obvious stuff, it that's the same argument you would make for why they could come back if they just got their stuff together. Yeah. And, and they have now once, which you know implies that they can do it again and again and again. Right. In the end, you're asking a team that won 57 games in the regular season 
to win four games in a row. Against That's, a team that they have more talent than. Yeah. Again, right. Against a team that, that they've beaten in the in, in the past. That right. All of that stuff is true. So it's not it's not the same thing. We always have we all have to throw that caveat in there because no one's ever done it. And it's it is hard to do in the playoffs. It's hard to beat the same team four times in a row. Um, so, so yes, Jimmy Butler could come out. The thing is the Celtics have left themselves, left themselves open to playing a great game and still losing to an even better game to, you know, Jimmy Butler, who's, is capable of like, you know what? I'm not going back to Miami other than to have beers and wine and listen to music with my teammates. Like that's, (laughs) that's it. So that's the thing that we have to worry about. It's in Boston. It's. Do you play the perfect game? Do you play a great game? And does Jimmy Butler just smoke you anyway? And that's that's why you don't want to go down 3-0. That's why you should have won game two. Um, and and that's that's it. So the lock the lockdown heat guys want to ban A-Rod and Derek Jeter from the uh, <laughs> That was yeah, that was, that, was wise, that was that was that was uh that was a thing. I karma-wise, I'm surprised that that was, you know, you would invite that comparison. I've I've stayed away from that that Red Sox comparison, you know. It's, it's just a felt felt a little bit different. But to 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 see that that thing, obviously, I was in the arena, so I didn't see it right away. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, what do they do? Why? <laughs> Why wait? Well, by the way, like, okay, the, the, the you know, I know a Rod is lives in the area. I think I guess Jeter maybe has a home in the area too. Is yeah. that the case? Yeah, I yeah. He, I mean, he. So, does he still own the Miami Marlins or he sold the team or something? He, he once owned, but yeah, I, anyway. but I, I, I get it. Like we see, um, celebrities and, uh, you know, legends in other sports come to NBA games and sit courtside. That's a normal thing that Jeter would be there. Okay. That A-Rod would be there. Okay. That they're both there on the same night. And of course, you know, separate, I, I, we were, we, we came up with this idea this morning on the locked on heat show, which was that they should be forced. If they if they're coming to another game, they should be forced to sit together and they should be mic'd up. They should yeah. be part of the mic'd up segment. I want to hear the. I want to hear what they're saying to each other. Um, but it is also this. I get it. A Rod, uh, Hall of Famer in another sport, uh, celebrity uh, lives in Miami. Wants courtside seats. He's going to get him fine. Except that he's the owner of another team. I have never seen, and we 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 realize this aside from Dwayne Wade, which again, straight the different thing, right? Caveats for Dwayne Wade, exceptions for Dwayne Wade. He's a minority owner of, of the Jazz. He's not a primary owner. He's not the majority owner. And he's a freaking heat legend. Yes. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But A-Rod is a co-owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, or soon yeah. will be as soon as the handoff from Glenn Taylor happens, all that stuff. I do not, Dwayne Wade aside, special case, I have never seen the owner of a franchise whose team is not in the playoffs going to the playoff game of two teams that are not his. That's that is, that is a weird one. It's fundamentally strange. And the only reason we don't react to it that way is because it's a rod. We're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Baseball legend, Alex Rodriguez is sitting yeah. courtside. No Minnesota Timberwolves co-owner, Alex Rodriguez yeah. is sitting courtside for a heat Celtics playoff game. Yeah. I, it's, it's a little weird. It is weird. It is weird. That's, that is a weird one. Um, I fully expect the Celtics to counter with David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, um, not Kurt Schilling. I don't think Kurt Schilling is going to be there, but, uh, might see a Kevin Millar, uh, sighting somewhere. Uh, I think the Celtics would, would very gladly, uh, now they're a team that should invite that. Would that be, would that be too much by the way? Like if you are, if, is it, 
Is it bad karma to lean too far into that? If you tried to bring the entire 2004 Red Sox to, <laughs> to, mean, to the TD Garden and sat them courtside and had a big thing on the video board, are you just like, is that going to backfire because it's like you're 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 now pandering to the karma gods? I, I don't I know think, how that works. I think you, I think you save that for Game Seven, all of them. Mm. I think you save Game Seven. That that would be the the time for all of those guys to be there. Uh, Ortiz is at games. He's been to plenty of games sure. this year, so. Yeah. So he'll be there, you know, maybe you bring a couple of the other guys in for this one. And if there, if it does go to a game seven, maybe you, you have those guys waiting. Maybe they're in the back. Maybe they're <laughs> like tucked away in a suite that no one should be paying attention to that. You don't put them on the jumbotron until like the game is over and be like, Hey, by the way, look, it's the other guys who did this. Do they wear uh, their do they wear their rings? How about that? Oh do yeah. You, do you do the close up on Ortiz and then he does the thing where you put your fist up and you got that big gaudy ring on it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you could bring you could bring Ortiz out to do the pregame speech and do this is our effing city again, uh, and like the whole place would. I mean, the place would just would crumble if he did that. So, do, all right, do they do they show all right Red Sox or no uh, present at the game? Do they? put up on the Jumbotron for the pregame hype video, a reel of the 2004 Red Sox, just highlights from that actual series. Again, they do it in the game seven. Okay, I, you, you I hold just, off on that one. You hold off on that one. Right. You don't want to do it and and still lose in five. That looks, that looks bad, <laughs> it would be right? Bad. You, want, you want that game seven to be like, okay, you just need one more, and now you're you're busting out all the stops. This, you're, yeah. you're, um, yeah, you're, you're doing all of that. I think I, and I don't even know if you do that pregame hype video. I think that's an in-game hype video. In-game. Yeah. In-game. And then going you into show the fourth quarter. Guy, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that type of thing. Uh, for sure. They, they will lean into that a hundred percent. And then, a, and then a duck boat montage with Ray Allen. Paul yeah. Kevin Garnett. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they really want to go nuts and have KG at one of these games, then whew, that, that'll go, that'll go over real big. Listen, that'll, listen, I know I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, assume too much on the part of the Miami Heat, especially Jimmy Butler, who is a badass in his own right. The mere presence of Kevin Garnett there, if I were the Heat would make me just start shaking my head. Like, oh man, we're screwed. Uh, Kevin yeah. Garnett's here. Yeah. We're, like just his mere presence. It just intimidates me. <laughs> He is an intimidating individual for sure. He instantly becomes the baddest man on that court. Uh, yeah, they should uh, they should bring bring him out pregame and just have him ram his head into the stanchion a few times just, just for fun. Do the, just do the war the, his pregame routine. Yeah, yeah. and then and then, and then go to his and then go to his seat and get some popcorn. <laughs> uh, I, I'm also I want to give a shout out to Cancun that always gets the the their board of tourism must love this time of year. Because you hear one, two, three Cancun at least once every week during the NBA playoffs. I, I forget who said it first, but oh, I can tell you. Oh yeah, who was it? Um, so I wrote about this a year ago um, for Sports Illustrated about one, two, three Cancun because it actually dovetails with my early years covering the Lakers in uh, in the in the late nineties and early two thousands. So one, two, three Cancun is actually the uh, intellectual property of, or would have been if, if he had thought about it, Nick Van Exel. <laughs> so in the, in the 1998 playoffs, the Lakers are down three zip. Sounds familiar? Three zip yeah, to, yeah. The Utah, to the Utah Jazz. And they're doing their pregame huddle. Bring it in. One, you know, Lakers on three, one, two, three, Lakers. And Nick Van Exel says, one, two, three, Cancun. And 
as as he told me last year when I wrote the story, Nick says, you know, like, because obviously, like, there's a there's your whole huddle. Not everybody's even going to hear it except for the guys who are closest to you. So a couple guys chuckle. The rest of them probably don't even hear it. Um, the re it, it took on this added weight because what happens is so that was not videoed. That was not taped. Like there was no no one even knew this had happened. A couple months or a couple weeks, I should say, after that happens and the Lakers have been swept and Shaq and Kobe are, you know, catching all the hell that they usually do and everything else. And Del Harris is catching hell as coach. <laughs> and uh, a blind item comes out in the LA Times, you know, an, you know anonymously sourced type item um, that indicates that Nick Van Exel, and they, they, they kind of got the details a little bit off, but it basically indicated that Nick Van Exel had made this Cancun chant. A few weeks after that, on tr on draft night, in 1998, Nick Van Exel gets traded to the Denver Nuggets for Tony Batie and the draft rights to one Teron Liu. Um, and it it was said at the time during later reporting that Shaq was pissed about Nick Van Exel about all these different things and pissed that Nick Van Exel had done the one, two, three Cancun. The implication was that Nick had quit on them. That one, two, three Cancun meant I'm out of here, guys. I'm ready to go yeah. on vacation. Um, I talked to Shaq for the story. I talked to Robert Ori. I talked to Nick Van Exel. Like the way that these guys tell it now is like, no, like, first of all, Nick says, listen, I was traded at midseason. Like it was over. You, the, 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 the team had become kind of factionalized. They were moving in a different direction. Kobe was emerging, obviously. They had cap salary cap issues. Um, you know, they traded Eddie, Eddie Jones and, and Eldon Campbell the following year. And so, and besides that, Nick Van Exel and Dell Harris had nearly killed each other on multiple occasions. <laughs> so there were other reasons for them to trade Nick Van Exel that had nothing to do with him saying one, two, three Cancun in a huddle as they were about to get swept by the jazz. But that's kind of the way the legend was born at that time. Um, and huh. then you flash forward years later, Shaq is part of the TNT studio and they had been doing the gone fishing thing starting in about 2002, I think. Shaq comes along, whatever, uh, I don't remember, when, when did he finally retire from the Celtics that year? Um, oh, you guys yeah. were his last stop, right? Yeah. So Shaq retires, Shaq goes into the studio, and sometime in like 2012 or so, 2015, somewhere in that range, while they're doing the Gone Fishing, I think it was probably Shaq who dropped the one, two, three Cancun. Like the, the Turner guys tried to find it for me, tried, but we, we couldn't quite get to the root of it. But somewhere in that range, in the, in the early to mid 20 teens, that that the Cancun reference becomes part of Gone Fishing, and then it just becomes part of the 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 the, the lexicon and the tradition of sending teams off after they get eliminated. Um, next thing you know, you've got Alvin Gentry making a crack about it. You can find it on YouTube where Alvin Gentry says one, two, three yep. Cancun in a press conference where because the I think the Pelicans have just gotten eliminated. Um, and so it's just grown from there. But Nick Van Exel. Nick Van Exel deserves credit for Cancun and all the references and the Cancun tourism board absolutely should be sending him some sort of checks every year. Absolutely. He should, he, he must be getting like free vacations in Cancun. He has to at this point because it's every, every April and May and June, like there you get that when teams are starting to finish off their seasons and finish their tank job, you start hearing one, two, three Cancun. And it yep. goes on. It's not one, two, three, St. Lucia. It's not one, two, three Bahamas. <laughs> exactly. It's one, two, three Cancun. And it just works. And I just, I felt like, you know, kudos to those guys. This is free advertising every year for three months a year. Yeah. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. Uh, Nick Van Exel says he no longer goes to Nick to, uh, to Cancun. I asked him, so where do you go instead? He's like, ah, I really would rather not say, which I <laughs> totally, totally get.
Well, uh, let's hope the Celtics aren't going one, two, three Cancun anytime soon. So <laughs> we'll wrap it up right there. Howard Beck, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the show. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks to Howard Beck. Uh, always a great conversation with him. Tomorrow, post game, Celtics, will they still be alive? Will they force that game six? Will it be three, two? I will be at the Garden. One way or another, there's going to be a post game podcast. So hopefully, it's me uh, rushing through a post game podcast so I can catch an early flight to Miami for a game six. It's going to be an interesting, interesting game. This is going to be a tough, tough, tough game. I don't think Miami's going to take this lightly at all. We'll see how it goes. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. You can uh, ring the bell on YouTube, get notified when a video drops, jump in the comment section. Most importantly, share the podcast, spread the word, tell everybody that they should be listening to and watching the Lockdown Celtics podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.